to the City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. Today we're going to be finishing our series, Fifty Shades of Grace. We've been going through the story of Hosea. Tonight we have a unique, one-of-a-kind service. If you're coming down, that'd be so cool to see you. Uh, 6.30 p.m. here at Metro, we are having a masquerade service, uh, which is Prosecco in the Gospel. So, yeah, you know, hashtag bring a pagan church uh, tonight. And we'll have, yeah, we'll have a good time. It's going to be cool. We're going to just, like, mingle, chill out, relax, have some fun stuff, have some Prosecco. Uh, Make sure you eat before you come, because, like, literally, like I said, Prosecco, I haven't said, like, we're providing a five-course meal or anything like that. So, like, you know what I mean? That moment when you're in church, you're like, like, chug, chug, chug. No, no, not cool, not cool. So, yeah, we're going to be doing that this evening. It's going to be a really unique kind of vibe, and I'm going to be showing a really short, succinct gospel message based on the series we've been doing. So this is, this is week four, and we're going to be finishing just looking at the final chapter of the book of Hosea. So if you've got your Bibles on your phone, or if you've got a physical one, we're looking at chapter 14. Actually, you can follow it there. You might not want it because I'm going to be reading from a really unique translation which you will not have on any device that you have. There's a, there's a new translation of the Hebrew Bible that's been going around that I grabbed a copy of. Um, so I'm going to be uh, reading from that. Chapter 14. Sam- Samaria is guilty for it rebelled against its God. They shall fall by the sword, their infants shall be smashed, and the pregnant women split apart. Turn back, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled in your crime. Take words with you and turn back to the Lord. Say to him, all crime you shall forgive and take what is good. And we shall offer our speech instead of bulls. Assyria will not rescue us. On horses we shall not ride. We shall say no more our God to our handiwork. As in you alone, the orphan is shown pity. I will heal their rebellion. I will love them freely for my wrath has turned back from them. I will be like Jew to Israel. He shall become blossom like the lily and strike the root of Lebanon. His branches shall go forth and his glory be like the olive tree and the fragrance like Lebanon who dwell in the shade shall come back. They shall give life to new grain and like the vine they shall blossom. His fame is like Lebanon wine. I'm guessing that's a good vintage. Ephraim, why more should I deal with idols? I've answered him and I aspire him. I am like the lush cypress. From me, your fruit is found. So that's the conversation that goes back and forth between the two. And then the last part is just kind of like, it's a kind of a weird segment. And the last kind of part of the book of Hosea doesn't look like it was actually written by Hosea, which I I didn't read. It's almost like a word from our sponsor tagged on the bottom. It's like really strange. It's like a weird synopsis or summary kind of thrown into the the end of the book. But, But looking through like the book of Hosea, there's a few things that God seems to tend to address um, with his people. One, the, the key thing is, is throughout the book, the, the worship of the God known as Baal. Now Baal, like, like worship of him is pandemic. It's a huge issue across the whole of Israel. Everybody's doing it. The reason for that is the Canaanites worship this God because it's a God associated with um, fertility and with crops and things like that. So Israel is a purely agricultural society. So the idea that there is a God that appeases in this way is appealing to them. But also, it's, that's not the only reason, because they could, they've always been able to look to their God. They've always had kind of like most of their guys down the years, the patriarchs, the key founding fathers of the faith, 
have all been like shepherds. So for them, the idea like that they need to go somewhere else isn't something they really need. Here's, here's why they really love worshiping Baal, and I can understand why they do it. So Baal worship centered on a few key themes, drunkenness, bestiality, human sacrifice, mutilation, incest, cakes. So, I mean, some of those things aren't prevalent in our society. Others of those things, really prevalent in our society. You could say people are worshiping Baal every Friday night, getting absolutely totally wasted. And the the sexual element as well. Human sacrifice, not so much. And thank God, no bestiality, really. So these are the kind of things that were kind of like going on within their worship. And so it kind of appeased to Israel. We talked about it last week. We were talking about um, Gomer's mum and her original name in Hebrew, how it translates as two cakes. So it's like, they call me two cakes. And so like that was the price for her as a temple prostitute. Um, and how this had just spread out through all of it. And so the children of Israel, God had said, they liked cakes. That was one of his big grievances against them. You guys like cakes too much. That's literally what he says in the Hebrew. You look at that and you go like, I like cakes. Oh God, is God upset with me? I've spent too much time in Greg's buying ice buns, maybe. You know what I mean? Cakes, like Trina right now is having a yum yum as I'm saying this. Like the judgment of the Lord is gonna be in this place pretty soon. You know what I mean? No, it's to do with this culture that has come in and they, they like people were literally going to worship Baal, going to the temple prostitutes and they'd be outside going like, oh no, no, I came here for the ice buns. You know what I mean? Oh no, I'm not going in there, I'm not doing that. Like, like no, 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 ice buns, ice buns. So they, they, they made it kind of acceptable on this kind of level while they kind of snuck in in, in that sort of way. Um, so the main key themes are about sexual immorality and idolatry they, they, and they pair together because the idea in Hosea is that actually the, the mirror image of his family, that he married a woman who was a temple prostitute, a Canaanite woman, had these kids out of this situation. Apparently, some people say some of the kids were his, some of them weren't his. Some people say none of the kids were his. And that's kind of like the issue that he's got going on there. And he pairs that image with Israel. He says, you know what? He goes, you lot have come because the people in Israel know that he's a prophet. And he said, God, <laughs> sorry, that was hilarious. <laughs> I was like, man, I should have just moved on, moved on. Andy, avert thine eyes. So um, he's, he's been told to go take a, a prostitute as his wife. He does that. He picks Goma. And this stuff is happening. They're having these kids. The kids aren't his. He thought he could cope with it. The first one's loved. Second one, no mercy. He's running out of his t- end of his tether. Third one, he's like, not mine. I'm done. I'm out of this. And he's freaked out and he's pushed to his limit. And then he flips the switch because... What happens is he ends up standing in front of the nation and the people are like, well, it's judgment time for you, Hosea, because you know what? You said that God told you to do this. Look at the fruit. Look at your family. Look at your life and your situation. So they would have been ready to pick up stones. They'd been ready to throw them at Hosea. They'd been ready to stone this man to death and kill him there and then. And then he stands up and makes a different case. He goes, well, actually, the whole reason that this has been happening in my life, the whole reason my life is kind of carrying this message in the same way the other prophets lived out their messages in very unique ways is he goes actually we are talking about sexual immorality and we are talking about adultery but we're not talking about my family we're talking about you so he has this moment where he goes you've come to accuse me you've come to point the finger at me but actually God says that Israel has been nothing but a hoe to me and you're like dang so all these people are there ready to stone him This is actually probably the original time you look at Jesus with a woman caught in adultery. He's like bringing up Hosea. That's what he's doing. So when they're standing there and they're saying what should be done to her, wanting him to stone her to death, he's bringing up Hosea by going, he's about sin, cast the first stone. He's bringing the whole story to mind. Do you remember that time 
when we were ready to kill a prophet? Do you remember that time in your history when you were ready to kill the person God was using to save you guys? You were ready to do that? And, and, and do you remember that? When really actually the people with sin were you guys carrying the rocks. And in that moment, Jesus says one by one, they put it down, putting the stones down. First the oldest guys go and then the youngest turn away and then she's left there. And he's like, well, does anyone judge you? No, well, neither do I. Go and sin no more. He, he liberates this amazing woman. This story is about liberation. It's about liberation for you and I. You and I live in a world where we do this all the time. We may not talk about it in like a, a sexual nature. We may not talk about it, idolatry and all those kinds of things. But you and I live by a world of he who is without sin cast the first hashtag. We spend so much time pointing the finger and commenting online about other people and other people's stories and talking about them in the exact same way. We actually have it to the point where I don't think we even think about it anymore. I don't think we even have a moment where it runs through our brain the way we are talking about other people. We are so easy to just look at someone and just reel off and say a load of casual judgments about other people. What you and I aren't so good at is having a moment of reflection they have on the mountainside where God just draws near and goes, well, actually, guys, have you taken a moment to look at yourself? Have you taken a moment to look at your own heart? And what this passage here does is it sets the scene to let us see as the book draws to a close, God is speaking to them about their society and where things head. It starts off with this horrible picture of children being smashed, which is horrible. And then the, the, the next image it gives is pregnant women being split open by their stomachs, cut in half. Now, for you and I, we live in a society where that's not going to happen tomorrow. None of us are going to be going our way to work and we're going, oh, look, another pregnant woman being split open on the 213 bus. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And I'm grateful to God that it's not going to happen. I'm grateful that's not our society. But the culture they lived in, that when an invading force came in, that was the kind of thing that would happen. So when other nations, other tribes would rage, raid and, and have war with one another, that is a typical kind of moment. Kids will get, kids will get killed. Women are going to get cut open. And that's the way it is. And so at the beginning of this chapter, 14 in Hosea, it says, Samaria, Samaria is guilty for it rebelled against God. They shall fall by the sword. Their infants shall be smashed and their pregnant women will be split apart. Turn back, O Israel, to the Lord your God. This is basically God having this moment. It's like, um, what can I compare it to? Uh, Doctor Strange in Infinity Wars. He's sitting there doing that Buddhist thing and he's looking at all the different options, all the different things ahead of them. This is God going, looking ahead going, this is where it goes. Are you wanting to stay on this track? Are you wanting to keep moving in this direction? Are you gonna wanna keep pushing me away when I'm gonna protect you? Because this is where it goes. Think of your children. Your children are gonna be smashed. Think of, think of the pregnant women in your society because when they invade, when they come in, this is exactly what's gonna happen. And you know what? It's exactly what happens for them. It says, turn back, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled in your crime. Take words with you and turn back to the Lord. All, and then they say to him, all crime you shall forgive. Take what is good. We will offer our speech instead of bulls. Man, this week I was looking at that one, one passage and I think that was the thing that spoke to me the most. I think when we look at church history, there are moments where people would pay penance and they would pay money for, for the absolution and the forgiveness of their sins. And in this passage, they would have things where they would bring in their tradition, in the Jewish tradition, they would bring different offerings to the Lord depending on what was happening and what they were looking for, whether it was a sin offering and things like that. In this one moment, God is just like, listen, bum the ball. I don't want to see a ball. I don't want to see a grain offering. I don't want to see anything else. I want you to bring your words to me. 
I want you to bring your words. And I was thinking, well, that's a strange thing, bringing your words. Well, you see, when we look at the Hebrew Bible, when we look at the first chapter of Genesis, we see a God who speaks everything into being. And I think for us in the Western world, we look at that and we go, well, that's a really strange thing that God would speak and everything would kind of find its place and have its being. But actually for the Hebrew people, they go, it's obvious that God would speak everything into being. They have a word, teshuva, which is like for, for word. And the idea for them is that they'll be like, of course, the, God speaks things into being because every single day we speak new realities into being all the time. Have you ever had a moment where you're walking down? I remember uh, walking into this old people's meeting. At, um, I was just trying to make a cup of tea. I was having a really bad day. I was working for another church and I was there doing this thing. And I'll never forget this old lady just looked at me and went like, oh, you look really, you look really good today. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. I was about to like unload like how much that meant to me because I'd had such an abysmal week. And she goes, only joking. <laughs> and this kitchen full of retired folk cracking up. I miss that doing this scene. I was just like, wow, okay, God. Okay, like, take it on the chin and just, and just move on. And you know what's funny? The reason I, I share that story is funny now. At the time I was like, man, I wanted to cuss out some old people, man. I wanted to be like, well, you can. Insert word you can't say as a church employee here. And I had that moment. You see, the thing is, people say a word to you sometimes and it creates a whole new reality for you. Sometimes, you see, they had the power in that moment. They could have said something really nice and it created a whole new reality. Man, I can get up and go again. I can do this, I can do that. Sometimes people see you and they say something to you that's hurtful and it brings you down. Sometimes people say things to you and it makes you feel really good and you step into your office, you step into your workplace and you're like, yeah, gonna kill it today. You know what I mean? Just by saying a word. Words create realities all the time. You may not believe it, but it does. People say something to you, it gets under your skin, it sticks with you, man. It sticks with you. God says, I just want you to bring your words because he's hoping they're going to speak a new reality in because he's saying, this is the reality I see ahead of you. Like Dr. Strange, this whole like prophetic thing. This is where it goes. This is where it happens. I don't want to see this. You don't want to see this. How do we avoid this? We avoid this by speaking this word over here. We're going to speak a word. We're going to turn away from what's been going on in our lives. We're going to turn away from the mess. We're going to step into something new. And so that they start speaking this word. That's the very next thing that happens. And he goes, and we shall say no more our God to our handiwork. I think for many of us, we don't necessarily bow down and worship our handiwork, but for so many of us, our career is absolute idolatry. We are so obsessed with our career that we just worship it so much. And I think that leads you to a really unhealthy place because you have one moment in your career where there's a bump in the road and all of a sudden your whole world falls apart. And that's when you know really quickly that your whole identity is built upon a position and a role that you have rather on who you are. And then you realize very quickly that, you know, it's okay being like that when you're on a career path that's just going up and up and up and up and up. But no one does that. Not even Steve Jobs. Apple on the way up got removed from his own company and kicked out. Yeah, there was the second coming for Steve Jobs. There isn't for everyone else. Sometimes that's it. You're just gone and you're left with this hurt as you've had to move on and you have to grieve and deal with that kind of stuff. But you see, you have to like have the capacity to see that actually, you know what? This is going to lead me to this place. This place isn't going to be good for me. Let me surrender, have the wisdom to surrender to God what's God's before you get to that place. That's the wisdom. So many times I meet people who are like, you know what? I don't need to repent of anything. I don't need to ditch anything. I don't need to change anything. And then all of a sudden there's a bump in the road and they're like, oh my gosh. Da, da, da. And then we want to come to him and stuff like that. But sometimes we just need to realign ourselves. We need to say no more to our handiwork, to our careers, that you are our God. And then it turns around this. 
because you alone, the orphan, you alone, the orphan, is shown pity. Man, I love that. The while, yeah, we were fatherless. I mean, when we talk about it in one aspect, the, the, everyone in this room, I don't think anyone's of Jewish origin. I think we're all Gentiles. So technically, in their eyesight and in the Old Testament, we'd be the, the father of the devil, wouldn't we, really? But the idea that we were orphans that he took pity on, that he brought in through Jesus, through his sacrifice. I mean, that for me is just the most wonderful, reassuring thing. The Bible says that even if my father and my mother reject me, the Lord shall not turn me away. Next week is Mother's Day. We're going to have an awesome time. But for some of us, you know what? We haven't got a good mum story. Like most of the time, we only say that on Father's Day. We don't really have the guts to say that on Mother's Day. But sometimes that happens. I'm just throwing it out there. Like I might get punched up next Sunday. Who knows? But I just want to say that sometimes mums haven't always been the rock that we wish they were. Though my mother and my father reject me, the Lord will not reject me. Man, he is just such a beautiful thing. And it says, I will heal their rebellion, which seems like a crazy thing. But the Hebrew understanding of rebellion is that it's a sickness. That the idea you rebel against the Lord is a sickness. And so it's something you need kind of healing from. It's not the kind of thing where you see, you see a, like if you saw someone who's not well, you don't like blame them for their sickness. Do you know what I mean? You have compassion on someone when they're sick and you try and look after them or whatever. God's view of sickness and rebellion and sin in this angle is like, this is something they need healing. Like this is... They're in this place because of their stuff has gone wrong in their life and they've just kicked into this rebellion mode. If we look at our society right now, among a lot of the young people in this nation, they need healing. They're in this place of rebellion and we look at it and we go, well, they need the smackdown. They don't, they need healing, they're hurting. They need healing. I will heal their rebellion. I will love them freely for my wrath has turned back from them. I will be like dew on the grass to Israel and he shall blossom like the, like the lily. Man, I just want you guys to know that often in life you have moments where you have something precious to you. Like the beginning of the passage, a child. I'm a dad now. I have something really precious. Like I didn't think being a dad would affect me the way it does. So precious. The idea of that being smashed, horrific. Absolutely horrific. But you know what? If we take children out of the equation and, and their situation, the threat was real. But if I look at our situation, some of us have things in our lives that are very precious to us. Like on the one hand, I said about career being an idolatry and things like that, but sometimes you give birth to a project that you love and you care for. But so often what happens is we make that more than it should be and we lead ourselves to a position where we end up seeing it get taken away and destroyed. And some of us are left grieving afterwards. Some of us are left, some of us don't even get to that stage. Some of us are just pregnant with something like it says, and split in two, and never get to see the fruition of it. I guess today, one of the key things that I felt that was so important was this understanding of what repentance is, of what turning around is, and turning back to God is. Because I think you and I have this obscure idea that you have to do something horrific before you repent. Like, oh yeah, there's always a guy who's a smackhead who repents and turns around, becomes a Christian, does all this amazing stuff, and everyone loves giving them like a pulpit. But actually, there has to be a change of heart for every believer, regardless of whether everything's a madness or things aren't a madness, that God becomes the center. Because when God isn't the center, we end up with a very selfish understanding which just pushes our own agenda to the disregard of all other agendas. And that too is something we have to repent of because if God truly is the only one who shows compassion on the orphan, it's because he places the orphan's narrative above his own. And the reason I see that is because I made the point that every single one of us is a Gentile, and yet 
God became flesh and blood in Jesus and he died on the cross. And it said that he could bring many sons to glory. And it talks about the adoption of us as sons into God's family. That those of us, we were far from God and yet he made the top priority that you and I could have a relationship with him. I'm going to pray for us today that we can have a moment with God where we don't need to look for a madness we need to repent of, but we have a a change of heart. But as I pray for us, I'm going to ask you on the inside, you don't have to out loud. If you want to out loud, go for it. Knock yourself out. If you don't, don't. I'm going to ask you to bring your words because you can't bring a ball, you can't bring some grain, you can't bring a load of money, you can't bring any swag to God. You can only bring your words. It's all you have and your words are inadequate. But he asks you to bring your words because he wants you to create a new reality. Because God sees the trajectory of where you're heading exactly today. I'm not talking about heaven, hell. I'm talking about just the life you live. And he sees ahead and he saw for them that if you keep on in this way, you're going to lose your kids and you're going to be, the pregnant women are going to be split open. So let's just ditch this right now. Let's turn this around. God sees ahead of your trajectory and he sees the things that matter to you that you love, the projects, the hopes, the dreams you have for your life and your future. And he's saying, just switch it around now. Switch it around. Put me back at the center. Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and all other things will be added to you. He's saying, just switch the center ground. Move it. Transition it to me. Because I want to bless you in what it is you want to do. I want to bless you in the, in the children that you have. I want to bless you in the, in the ideas that, in the, and, and the dreams you have that you want to give birth to, that you want to see come to fruition in your life. Father, I thank you, Lord, that each one of us has dreams within us. I thank you, Lord, that each one of us has passion within us. I thank you, Lord, that each one of us has things in our lives that we just are so proud of and rightly so, not in the wrong sense of that this is me, this is what I do and this is what I love. But I pray, Father God, that we would find true perspective where we would worship you and not our vocation. I pray, Lord, that we would worship you and no other. I pray that maybe for some of us, there are different idols that have crept in within our lives. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to put you back at the center that we would love you with all that we are. Father, I pray that as we take that shift, that moments of repentance, that moments of coming to you with our words, we would create with you a whole new reality for our lives. Because ultimately, Lord, you spoke a word and that word became flesh and blood and Jesus came and he died on a cross that we would have a whole new world, a whole new reality created for us, an eternal one. And I pray for each and every single person here, Lord, that maybe we've put our entire foundation and identity all in the wrong thing. We've hit a bump in the road and we realize, oh my word, this isn't all it cracked up to be. For those of us, Lord, who are just cruising right now and it's great and we love it, I pray we'd have the realization and to see the picture it is you're casting ahead of us that actually, if we don't keep you the center, this is where it leads. But when we keep you the center, we encounter someone who makes the orphan the priority. I pray that, Lord, as we put you center ground, we would also make the orphan the priority, that we would have eyes to see those around us in our sphere of influence, our family and our friends who are in desperate need of that provision that no one else is providing. In Jesus' name, amen. We really hope you enjoyed today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london.